This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 24th of May 2016, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data. My name is Jon, and as always, here's my co-host Dave. Hi, Dave. Hello, Jon. So, how have you been? I have been good. Um, That's very nice. Yeah, lots of lots of fun stuff lined up over the last couple of weeks. Um, a couple of uh, interesting kind of partner solution meetings that have started to come out of the woodwork as as the news around NiFi and and HDF starts to percolate through the ecosystem. Um, you know, partners are kind of waking up to it, um, having you know. Uh, fought their way through dealing with Flume for so long. How uh, <laughs> NiFi might replace some of the uh, the pain that they've been dealing with, and uh, you know some of them looking at custom uh, processes um, and how it might integrate into their application stack, which is you know, already on top of HDP and uh, you know, pretty interesting. And in fact, one of them has already has been using uh, NiFi for about. I think they said about six months or so. They've even, you know, written custom processes. And uh, the the greatest uh, comment I had in that uh, workshop was in that uh, in one of those meetings was uh, they said actually NiFi was the most stable part of the entire application stack that they deployed. <laughs> oh, it's not that surprising considering it's only eight years old. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's actually uh, getting off 10 years old since its initial yeah, inception. True. It's nearly as old as Hadoop. So, uh, yeah, it was, so it's, it's, it's quite good. It's good to see, uh, NiFi getting in a bit of airtime, uh, you know, in with partner solutions as well. Are they going to open source the processes they wrote? Or? Well, this is the, this part of the conversation, conversation we had during the meeting. So, uh, we're certainly hopeful. Uh, some of the stuff, as as you might expect, is fairly bespoke and custom to what they're doing. But I think there's other stuff that uh, that you know should be open sourceable, uh, and they seem to be uh, you know quite open to taking a look at that. So I think there's something. I know it's something that we've done with other customers. Is sometimes customers just don't have the ability to open source uh, stuff themselves, but they're able yeah. to sign the code over and uh, happy for for us to do it. So yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, these days it's good publicity for a company if they open source some software. Very it's much a so. Very good way to hire good people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see that um, in in organisations sort of uh, presenting at Hadoop Summit, for example. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of those. You know, the the slide deck ends with "and we're hiring." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little less last this year. Last year was very 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 big on that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's more of a career day event. Than a the little tech, bit. Tech show. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I'm exaggerating. It's not that bad. But uh, you're right. It's definitely fair. Uh, it's definitely a part. There's an element of it. Yeah. Um, so, yep, yeah, that was that was one kind of nice set of uh, sessions. Um, also, you know, workshop with a European telco who's really kind of reevaluating. They've got a a fairly major shift coming up. Um, you know, for their organization for one reason or another, and they're you know specifically looking at options which include. Um, completely sunsetting their uh, enterprise data warehouse. Um, mm. I love that phrase, sunsetting. It sounds so so much nicer than shooting in the head. Um, <laughs> terminate. <laughs> terminate, <laughs> with, uh, destroy with extreme prejudice. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's not, uh, it's not completely done that they're going to uh, throw their EDW enterprise data warehouse uh, out the window, but uh, it's certainly an option they're very strongly considering. Um, which is interesting for a fairly well-established, you know, large corporate organisation. 
Um, there are a few organizations doing that sort of thing, but not very many. Most people are, you know, going down the coexist path with yeah, and yeah, right-sizing yeah. the technologies. Yeah, full sunsetting. It's uh, quite rare, I think. I'm yeah. not entirely sure if I'm totally in favor of it. Of course, it depends on the situation. Yeah, very much so. Uh, you know, th- they they have a particular uh, a particular set of challenges coming up that are fairly unique to them that actually does potentially make it worthwhile, but uh, we shall see. When you say the EDW, do you mean the full, complete data warehouse they have everything. across the board, everything concerning CRM data, yeah. whatever? Yeah. Or more specifically, the telco uh, quality of calls? No, 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 everything. Their entire wow. EDW. Yeah. Oh, I do see some, I can imagine some challenges there, assuming oh, yeah. that you're dealing with them with, uh, with your customer. Yeah. You're uh, arranging to make, fix everything, but, uh, interesting. I will, I hope we can talk more about it in the future to see how it we works. We shall see. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll even get an interview with them. You never know. Uh, if they really succeed in doing this, it would be a very interesting interview to, to hear. Absolutely. Um, and you know, last last uh, thing I I've done over the last couple of weeks, it was quite interesting. Was uh, uh, a workshop um, handing over some kind of uh, proof of concept uh, and pilot sort of almost like a pilot project or somewhere in between a proof of concept and a pilot project to a a customer. You know, some sort of outline work that we've managed to do, um, really to demonstrate to the business some of the value of. Um, of uh, you know a data lake and some of the interesting and exciting things that they can do. So it included a bit of data science and a bit of machine learning, a bit of Spark, uh, a bit of NiFi, uh, a bit of even um, sort of web-based visualization as well. So that was quite uh, you know quite good and the you know, customer at the end of it really happy. So that's always the, that that's helps. what you want at the end of the uh, end of the workshop, end of a long day. Yeah, you're going to be a uh, Spark guru. If you keep it up. No, no, I'll leave that to far, far more intelligent people than me. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my that was uh, my last two weeks in a, in a nutshell. How about you? Uh, quite boring, as you might expect. Uh, as I talked about last time, I just started Microsoft, and the first two weeks have now uh, passed. Uh, very busy, very hectic. A lot of new things to learn, of course. I actually just came back from the boot camp in the US. Just landed yesterday, so I'm uh, jet-lagged out of my wazoo. That's why I'm probably not sleeping as energetic as I should be. Thank you for not mentioning it before. But uh, no, it's been a fun couple of weeks. Learning to, learning to, met a lot of new people, seen a lot of new new technology. I mean, new for me. I'm pretty sure that all the Azure things aren't so new for other people out there. But uh, coming from a purely open source uh, company like Hortonworks, it's uh, something I looked at from afar and touched here and there but uh, now i'm really deep in it so it's very interesting days i'm having a lot of fun with it excellent and well that's pretty much all i want to talk about uh, and if you have nothing else left then we might just make it a shorter episode this time than last time I'm not sure certain if you should apologize to our listeners for making one hour episodes no i think they love it and if they don't they should tell us in the feedback form true we haven't had any complaints about the length so we can just uh, keep on doing it anyway anything else from you that's it from me okay then after the music in the main section of the podcast we will have the second part of the interview we did a couple of weeks ago with sumit singh the senior director of cloud and big data at yahoo we are pretty sure you all enjoyed the first installment in our previous episode and we have actually kept the best part for this one so enjoy (laughs) 
I mean, so the the other kind of thing that uh, I think uh, things were kind of interesting is uh, you brought up the the concepts of kind of uh, chargeback and and showback, yeah. and indeed um, data governance. Yeah. And I mean, from from my perspective, it almost feels like those are you know those are things that almost the the enterprise has has dragged kicking and screaming into the world of Hadoop. Uh, that maybe you know if if it had stayed in um you know uh, dot com organizations where it where it, many of the technologies originated from and you know maybe um governance would have been wouldn't have been thought about uh, quite so much um until you know quite a bit later it it almost feels like the you know, the the adoption of Hadoop by the enterprise has has actually accelerated some of these uh, you know some of these steps forward yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, as I said, a lot of these areas were not as um, the community didn't quite focus on on these areas, and, and I think yeah. the openness of the enterprise to look at this platform, adopt this platform, and really put this platform to use um, for for deriving value for their businesses has accelerated, um, and and communities increasingly focused on. Issues around governance, um, issues around um, um, some of the other things you just described, uh, chargebacks and showbacks and how to practically run the platform as a business and, and not um, an, an ad hoc sort of technology that you've just deployed for, for um, you know, research purposes. Um, so we, we, in fact, have been, um, you know, preaching some of these concepts for a long time, particularly as your private cloud operations scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that starts to happen is that a lot of capital starts to go into these infrastructure elements. Um, and, and people will question as to why you're spending millions of dollars in setting up large infrastructure, or if you're in a public cloud, why is your bill in millions of dollars, right? So similar question. It's not just a, um, a, a concept that is limited to private cloud operations. Um, and, but having, um, and then think, think, okay, let's, let me, let me put it in a very nascent way. If I have a project idea, let's say in advertising, um, and I want to sort of start that um, and scale that up in the next three months, um, I need to have a very clear idea of whether that project makes sense or not. Um, and if I'm building that project largely on Hadoop and, and HBase and things like that, um, I need to know what it's going to cost because that's the only way I can calculate my return on investment or show to company that this project is a viable project. Yeah. So if the platform's not capable of showing the total cost of ownership, um, and again, totally on a cost basis, there's no way for the user, the, the person who's planning this project, uh, to figure out the profitability of the or viability of the project. So it is a core capability that you need, and you need early on to answer a lot of questions around investments, um, a lot of questions around efficiencies, and a lot of questions around um, and 
planning, uh, budget planning and capital planning and things like that. So all of these processes are important for us uh, at Outcom Company, but I think they're equally important for enterprise customers, uh, maybe even more important for enterprise customers where typically the IT organizations are separate from rest of the business processes. So, um, and they drive a lot of technology and technical selection decision. Um, but these capabilities are critical for um, even greater enterprise adoption, and, and we have to have those. Um, and thankfully, the community has actually turned attention to a lot of these things in the last two, three years. Um, governance is extremely important um, from multiple perspectives, as I said, um, from the perspectives of having the capability to audit the platform as and when you wish, having the capability to um, truly sort of control who has access to what types of data. Um, if I have a, a sensitive financial data on the platform, then I want to make sure that whoever has access to that data um, is treated as an insider. Um, so, um, and keeping that list up to date and keeping that list automated uh, is important. Um, similarly, if you have best practices around security in your company and have the, the sort of securities thought about um, around data as well as practices of where the data is kept, where can it be moved, uh, can it be copied or not, and things like that, who can actually look at it, um, you, you want your, let's say, um, uh, learning management systems um, automated with that with that idea of who gains access to data. So, so for example, in our company, for um, a lot of basic data sets, let alone the sensitive ones, um, our company data governance policies require that people who request access to that data have completed a governance training, a privacy training, so that they understand the risks associated with getting access to that data and working with that data. Um, and now, so we need to make sure that if you're requesting on our portal um, access to that data, you have completed that training. Um, so just automating that with a simple API. And most of these learning systems are um, uh, are as uh, hosted or, or in, comes in SaaS models. So it's really easy to get programmatic access, call an API and do a certificate check. Has this user ID completed this certificate or has this person this particular certificate for learning requirement in his learning history. Um, automating these types of governance requirements um, really makes the whole experience with the platform easy um, and, and doesn't sacrifice any of the governance concerns, uh, be it around you know um, audit requirements, be it around, uh, uh, I would say, policies that are related to access to data, um, be it uh, you know, restricting access to sensitive data, classifying the, the levels of issues associated or sensitivities associated with that data, governing it from a common platform. Um, those things are quite critical, and I think we have invested quite a lot of effort, and community has invested a lot of effort in the last two, three years, and it's only going to get better. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, are you um, are you already taking a very close look at things like uh, like Atlas and the uh, the Data Governance Initiative uh, and we, those kind of areas? Yeah, we have. So, um, in fact, we went in quite early with these things, just given the the history of the platform at the company. So, we implemented a lot of these things um, on top of um, our Metastore, um, where we took an initiative to. Um, call in uh, all our users who bring in data on the platform to register their data with the Metastore. Um, so we drive a lot of this data discovery, um, data um, um, schema knowledge and things like that from the common Metastore itself. And we build some tools around discovery and, and access on top of that Metastore. So um in in and that also we did a lot of custom work early on uh, in integrating our business processes around governance so financial data management yeah. um learning requirements some of the things i talked to you about um, um early on much before atlas and some of the data governance initiative came in place um so that stuff works for us now uh, but there will be a point where we'll start to um, sort of bring in things like Atlas and, and others. Um, and, and Atlas is a very broad initiative. Um, our governance requirements are very specific to sort of internet data sets and most of our data, bar, let's say, things like, you know, Flickr pictures, which are private, or emails and things like that, which people cannot read. Yeah. Um, beyond those types of data, they, most of our data is not ultra-sensitive. They're mostly clicks, uh, user clicks and logs. Yeah. And as long as you have anonymized who the user was, um, it's not that sensitive. Um, so our current approach kind of works for us, uh, but I understand that that's not enough for the enterprise customers. You know, you have all kinds of requirements in different industry verticals. Indeed, indeed. When it comes to, when it comes to healthcare, there's a whole set of newer sort things to deal with comes to financials the whole set of different things to deal with construction you know insurance everyone has their own governance requirements so that we need a a sort of uh, i would say enterprise-wide governance initiative uh, but it's a somewhat limited for us and so we've done custom things um, in there to just meet our requirements but obviously we're looking at these things quite closely and you know Maybe in very near future, we start to use these things. Understood. That's great. Um, so are there any kind of, uh, are there any new or relatively new Hadoop-related open source projects that you're kind of particularly interested in at the moment? Any kind of uh, new kids on the block uh, of, of the world of big data and Hadoop that you're, you're thinking look quite interesting right now? Um, there aren't really that many projects in the ecosystem that we actually don't use. <laughs> um, we, we more or less use almost all of them. Um, and so really early users of Spark, very early users of Apache Tez uh, from a compute perspective, very early users of Storm. Um, and some of the things that actually stayed internal um, and but were very useful we're now seeing the value of some of those components um, across a broader set of things. So 
Uh, for example, I talked about Ahmed, um, a project which we have recently open sourced and as yeah. uh, with, with, the, with, the, with the help of Hortonworks and the community folks at Salesforce and other places, we have taken that uh, to, to Apache now. So it's an incubator project um, and it manages asset transactions on top of HBase. Um, we think that that opens up a whole set of new uh, avenues for, for HBase. Uh, to be used for um, you know things like Apache Hive or Apache Phoenix, um, so that's definitely an, an approach we've taken off late, where we're identifying things that stayed proprietary and never made it into open source, um, and trying to sort of bring those elements uh, in the Apache ecosystem. So some of it is about taking our stuff and, and taking it out, so that they get embedded in other components in the ecosystem, and that actually brings immediate value for us as well. Definitely. Um, so that's definitely one thing we're looking at. Um, the um, In terms of looking at the broader ecosystem and um, bringing it back, as I said, um, there aren't that many projects which we're not using. Um, we're definitely keeping a very close eye on some of the security-related projects, you know, when it comes to mm -hmm. sort of perimeter-level security um, philosophies. Again, our security is a little crude, um, but it works. Uh, so some we're keeping a close eye on some of those projects, um, the governance projects, uh, initiatives. Um, we're looking very closely into the the projects that solves this ease of use element that I was uh, describing to you. So um, we're, we're keeping very close eye on that, um, and then you know running a lot of proof of concept on a regular basis and benchmarks on a regular basis on newer types of things that are coming in. Um, and making sure that what we do today is good enough. Uh, and if it's not, we're going to replace it with some of the newer stuff because if newer stuff offers equal or more value proposition, actually more um, value than what we do today. Um, so that has been our approach. Um, and, you know, we try to stay standard on a lot of different things because that's where we think the, the uh, technology associated with the the, the components actually achieve maturity um, and and then the value then it returns is high for the organization relative to the investment we made. Um, so there are lots of discussions that happen. I mean, that's an ongoing task uh, in terms of evaluating projects, benchmarking projects, looking at the performance of your current stack, uh, looking at the costs associated with current technology. It's, it's a nonstop exercise. I'm sure. I'm sure. And the, the world of big data is ever accelerating as well. So there's, yeah. there's always more, uh, interesting stuff popping up. Yeah. I mean, in that, in that sort of vein, do you, do you typically wait until, um, you know, a project becomes an, uh, an Apache project before, um, apart from things you're developing internally, do you, do you wait until things achieve some kind of level of maturity or do you have situations definitely when, uh, you know, engineers come along and they say, Oh, you know, someone's just landed some code on GitHub. This looks really cool. We need to start playing around with this immediately. Does that, does that uh, also happen? Yeah, the really good question. So both happen, uh, but let me describe our philosophy around it, uh, because that's really, really important for people who want to get in this. Yeah. Um, because every day you will hear about a new project and you, you sort of are tempted to look at the shiny new thing and sort of jump in. <laughs> 
and and with with a firm belief that all the old stuff's useless uh, <laughs> this is the best thing i need to do and that does not work uh, yeah. and will not work um, so we take two philosophies and the two core sort of ideas um, to solve this issue. Um, the first idea is that if we have an extremely compelling use case that we're not able to meet the demands for from the current platform, then we would look at a solution that can help us solve that use case really quickly. Um, and more often than not, we will turn to open source, we will turn to Apache to, to look at um, some of these things. So um, stream processing or real-time processing is a good example where way back, um, you know, when I had started, we were evaluating real-time technologies um, for use cases, particularly in advertising that we had to solve for. Um, and, and there was no no choice that we had. We couldn't wait. Um, so we started looking at all kinds of things that were available to us, commercial offerings, open source offerings, uh, and started to evaluate them. And for, you know, good reasons, I think we uh, stumbled upon Apache Storm. Uh, well, it was just Storm at that time, uh, a one-person sort of repository on Git. Mm -hmm. um, and, but that made a lot of sense for our use cases. Um, so we just um, honed in on that and sort of kept playing with it and, and figuring out what else would we need to do to make it a viable platform, a large platform for our organization. And um, it was not an Apache project back then, let alone a top project. Uh, really early days. So we started to work with the creator of Storm, um, engaged with him, and sort of truly started to understand what the path forward for the platform would be. Um, and worked very collaboratively and took that project onto Apache as an Apache incubator. Um, and then eventually, um, Storm became a top-level project and now has gone on to release uh, 1.0. Uh, so that that is one sort of philosophy we follow where we um, drive technology decisions uh, from a use case standpoint. There is a compelling problem that needs to be solved. Um, and then we look at technology, and at that point in time, it doesn't really matter whether it's a, it's an open source offering or someone's code on GitHub uh, or a commercial offering. We have to solve that problem, and we need to solve it. So that's an example. Storm was an example um, that, that fitted really well for me to describe that idea. Yeah. Um, and we do that across um, different types of things. Um, Storm was just an example. Um, the other um, philosophy is that as new stuff comes in, um, in, in, uh, in, in Apache as a project, um, we look at what is it that um, we do today is not being done um, and is available in that particular project. Um, so one of the ideas we have is to try and sort of unite the community around some of the common themes um, and that's not always easy. The community is really large um, and uh, pursues sort of different types of tracks for different for similar problem areas. Um, so we learn a lot from some of the other projects, even if we don't run that at Yahoo. We learn a lot from that, um, either through benchmarking exercise or just talking to the community. And we try to bring in some of those elements into our current platform. 
Um, and again, there are lots of examples of that. Um, we have done lots of things in, in Apache Swarm, um, which we have learned from other places. Um, and similarly, so, you know, Apache Tez is a really good example, which uh, it has drawn in um, uh, from practically all the learning that came from MapReduce, right? So, um, exactly. It, 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 these, are, these are really great examples of the evolution of um, uh, technology in a structured steps where, you know, you're not disrupting your current user base. So, for example, um, 50% of our code base that runs on the platform is written in PIG. Um, and, and I know a lot of other places don't use PIG, but and but we had to solve for the PIG's latency issues and efficiency issues. Um, so we decided to migrate PIG over to TEZ uh, because TEZ was solving for a lot of those things. And Hive um, had already undertaken that initiative to move uh, move um, a Hive over from MapReduce to Tez. Um, we did the same thing for Pig, so we led that initiative. So these are good examples of that second philosophy I'm trying to describe: is to learn from community, even though you don't run some of the things internally. Um, there are lots of ways to solve for these problems on existing platforms. So we have not created, you know, more or less any impact on our code base that exists in the form of pig scripts or user base that are extremely uh, good at writing, let's say, pig scripts because, you know, they've been doing this 10 years. Um, and so not disturbing them, yet being able to solve the problems uh, that, that we wanted to solve with Apache Pig. Um, that, that, that type of approach also works beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... Open source, uh, I've been involved in open source for a long time myself, and I think open source satisf um, suffers, in fact, from the, uh, the the kind of the new shiny syndrome, probably even even more than than ordinary technology, because the the um, the barrier to entry is almost even lower than anything else, because the code is just there. You know, yep. you can just go and download the thing and, and try it out. And yep. it's very easy to get kind of lost in that uh, continual chase for, for the new shiny. But I think that's a, it's a good set of uh, guidelines to, to think by when you're, when you're looking at uh, some of the new options that are popping up. Yeah. Um, so if you, um, if there's one thing that you think you could, uh, you would recommend that needed fixing in the world of Hadoop or big data in general, mm -hmm. what what do you think that's uh, what do you think that the biggest problem that we're facing at the moment is? One thing that needs to be fixed, biggest problem we face. Um, let me think. So there are. I actually have two thoughts, and I'm trying to say which one's more important. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. And we'll we'll give you two. <laughs> okay. So if you take two. Um, I think the first one is obviously ease of use. I think we, as a developer community of some people who develop these technologies, as well as the user community, have to make the platform even more easy to use, even more abstracted, even more automated. Um, and that is definitely going to help the entire ecosystem. Um, and, and actually designing systems from the get-go and APIs from the get-go that, that with that philosophy that, hey, maybe this is going to get used by the, the sales and marketing people and not necessarily engineers. So having that mindset and, and, and building technology with that mindset will help. Um, yeah. And I think that we have to instill in every community member that, hey, build these 
things from that mindset. Um, the second um, is um, the the bifurcation that is happening, and um, I I think we need to bring in multiple projects together. There, there is a lot of opportunity to converge on certain things, um, and if we all converge on a, a single or or a few of these things that do more or less the same thing, uh, but there there are. Um, valid differences between them, but bring those, converge onto those differences and, and bring the best of each in sort of a fewer set of technologies, a fewer set of projects. That will help the project so much because you have a lot more uh, minds engaged with that project versus fewer. Um, and that'll strengthen the community overall. So I think I think uh, convergence um, in in some of the projects, convergence in the community and ideas, are moving fast um, with with this idea of convergence. And we try to drive a lot of that uh, as well. Um, and that that is going to help this whole ecosystem of projects and space and and everybody else, the the development community, the user community. Uh, customers, um, vendors—it's going to help all of us. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a uh, the the kind of splintering of of open source uh, focus is has been a, a a problem as long as open source has existed. Yes, uh, and I think it, it's 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 going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this how this kind of progresses. There's there's always going to be the the sort of the balance between the, the the you know the meritocracy and you know the the best technologies um, you know rising to the forefront and, yeah. and others you know over time um, fading away, but at yeah. the same time that there's there's such a lot of missed opportunity during that time that if if you could create more of a consensus earlier on, yeah. then uh, you know you'd be everybody would be so much further ahead. So I think. Uh, I think it's uh, it's it's certainly an area that uh, requires a great deal of attention. Uh, so yeah, yeah no, very I, well, very well said. Yeah, I think that's a that's a certainly a, a a nice area to focus on. So uh, I I definitely wish you uh, my very best of luck in in that area. Yeah. Um. So. As a as a sort of a, a final bonus question to yeah. wind things up, yeah. um, how would you explain Hadoop to someone who'd never heard of Hadoop before? Oh well, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is this is I have done this several times in our company, <laughs> so let let me see if I can repeat that. Um, so the way we talk about it, at least in our company, to, to people who are new to Hadoop or are, are not technologists, um, is that we talk about it as a a software framework uh, that comes with its associated infrastructure at the company, um, where you store all your company's data and process all that data and then derive value out of that data that you apply back to your business. Um, And then you do that in a very economical fashion, um, in, in, um, in a way that the economics work um, for the company. Um, The second, um, you do not worry about a lot of things that you would otherwise worry about when you're doing these things yourself without to do, Um, such as false tolerance, uh, such as what would happen if I was processing 
um, 200 times more data tomorrow than I'm doing today. I'm, do I have to replace this whole thing and, and do something new? Um, you do not have to worry about things like scale, things like fault tolerance. Oh, what happens if since I'm buying cheap servers, what happens if they fail uh, or the disks fail? Um, I don't have an IT organization that is going to replace just like we replace our laptops, working laptops when they go bad. Um, um, so that's how I describe it. Like, do not worry about a lot of things you would necessarily worry about uh, a large-scale infrastructure. Uh, the second thing is think of it as one place where both compute and storage live in, in a very sing, a sort of um, harmonious fashion. And you can practically do anything you want to do with it in terms of you know bringing data in, processing data, and deriving value out of that data. And then that can drive your entire business because at least particularly from an internet company standpoint, uh, data is, uh, so I actually have a very high-level picture that I use for this uh, where I show our products and how they, how we design our products to send data back to a common place and then how we harvest data from third-party sources. But then I show that, look, all of this needs to land in a common place because we're going to share this data among products. We're going to enrich this data. We're going to deduplicate this data. And then I show another arrows in another set of directions where our products are again back there uh, and say, look, advertising, then we take this value, not data, the value, and send it to our advertising applications. Um, we send it to our communications applications. We send it to our um, content applications. Um, and then, of course, since all the data is in a common place, you can do a lot of business intelligence reporting and analytics on top of that if you have questions. Like, just go ask questions and you will get answers. Perfect. Perfect. That's been great. So uh, I think we're about done. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we sign off? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say that do not look at these things as um, you know strange set of technologies I mean have faith in them um, we have been doing this 10 years um, and I think they work and they work for the entire organization uh, irrespective of who uses it um, so I would just say that if you have not delved into it go ahead and take a dip um, you will not be disappointed <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much, Samit. It's been great talking to you. And uh, I think we've, we've had such a good time. I think we'll probably split this over uh, two different interview sessions. So uh, it's, been, it's been fantastic talking to you and uh, look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Sure. Thank you, Dave. Thanks a lot, Samit. Yep. Bye. Take care. Bye. So that was the end of our uh, interview with Samit. Um, had a lot of fun talking to him, uh, both in person and uh, when we uh, recorded this interview. Um, I hope you'll agree there's lots of kind of good nuggets of information uh, in there, and uh, I look forward to uh, speaking to Samit again in the future. Um, if you really enjoyed his episode, please let us know, give us some feedback, and um, yeah, thanks so much, Samit, for all your time you spent with us. Very much appreciated and uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. And after the music, we go straight to questions from the audience.
In this last section of the podcast, we answer questions we receive from you, our listeners. If you have a question you would like us to answer on the podcast, please send an email to podcast at roaringelephant.org, use our Hadoopcast Twitter handle, or go to our website www.roaringelephant.org, where you can find more information about the podcast and also a contact form to send feedback and questions. So, for today we have one question we picked out of the pile, which is somehow related to the interview we heard in the uh, main part of the episode. And I think, Dave, you're going to tackle it. So, the question is, uh, is Apache Atlas ready for use today? Um, so, when uh, when we talked governance with Sumit, he you know very, very correctly uh, highlighted the fact that governance is becoming uh, a more and more important uh, element for big data um, you know, understanding your data, where it is, who's using it, and all those kind of areas is becoming more and more important. And I think that one of the sort of areas that he touched on is, you know, they have something that they built themselves, primarily because they had a very, uh, they had a need to put something in place, and they have a very narrow um, kind of set of use cases that they wanted to uh, satisfy for that. Um, now, you know, the Atlas you know, Data Governance Initiative has spun up. Atlas has been the sort of uh, uh, the product of that. And, uh, you know, I think if you look, uh, if you've listened to us for a little while, you've heard us kind of talking about Atlas development maybe being uh, a little bit on the slow side. You know, maybe we're unfair, maybe not. Uh, you know, I'll let you decide on that. And I'm sure Jan's got some views as well. But, uh, you know, I think... They've done a reasonably good job on making sure that the the foundations are there, and I think if you look at uh, you know what's coming with the, the next release of Atlas, um, you know that's going to be adding you know Hive, um, you know um, hooks for Hive, Scoop, Falcon, uh, Storm, um, and then you know around about the end of the year, Spark, NiFi, and HBase. Um, so. I think it, it maybe feels like it's been moving quite slowly, but I think there's a potential that, you know, by the end of the year, the Atlas experience is going to be very, very different to, you know, where it is today. And where it is today, it's very much just, uh, you know, it's pretty much just Hive and a whole bunch of backend infrastructure. Yeah, I think you're right there. And maybe the Atlas people have suffered a bit from their publicity. Because everybody was waiting for a governance solution to appear and Atlas came and, well, promised it would fix everything. And I think in the long run, it actually will fix most of everything. But a lot of the groundwork needed to be laid first. And that's the stuff you don't really see. It has very little visibility, but it needs to be in place before it can solve the real problems. And as you said, I think I agree that the, the groundwork has been laid now and we should be seeing real usable application level stuff coming out of it making uh, making an interesting uh, thing to to use in your solution yeah i mean if you think about the way that open source projects generally work i mean to a certain extent you're you're always you're almost always going to get this kind of experience though you know things kind of spin up especially if they do it you know in the public eye with you know things like the data governance initiative really put a spotlight on the atlas project Whereas normally maybe you'd get, you know, an organization building something internally and then releasing it as open source later, or maybe, you know, a couple of developers that get together and scratch an itch they've got 
and release something fairly quietly that slowly gains momentum and then it reaches a critical mass and then everybody hears about it, by which time it's already got you know quite a few bits of uh, feature and functionality, whereas Atlas really was was birthed into the limelight you know straight away so i i think maybe maybe we have been a bit unfair on it previously mm-hmm. yeah. um but at the same time you know if, if you're if you're in the spotlight then you know you better dance and you better get up and running quite quickly so i think the end of the year we'll see we'll see where atlas lives then and i if i remember rightly we actually had some uh predictions for the next uh, for the next year around uh, data governance and that sort of thing and atlas and where it might be so let's uh, let's see if those some of those predictions come true see how uh, machine learning fed our crystal ball was indeed <laughs> that's a good point about uh, the, the birth of the project because uh, on top of what you talked about it's also that it has a different birth because it wasn't a small group of people that solved the problem and then made it generally available and a bit more generically applicable it was already generically planned because you had these multiple companies trying to solve all their various different problems so there wasn't a really small nugget that then grew it yeah. started out correctly I would say with a big framework to build on top of where a normal Apache project, very often you see it start with a small nugget, it becomes popular, it grows, and then at version 2.5 something, kill me if this is a number, they kind of have to do a full rewrite of the code because then they know what they should have done in the beginning. Yeah. But it wasn't necessary in the beginning because it was just to solve a single problem. Yeah. And Atlas did it from the start as a framework, and that invariably means that you need a bit bit more startup time. So I think you're right. We're being a bit unfair on them. Well, we'll see. Hopefully they'll deliver and all will be forgiven. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anything else from you on that topic? Uh, nope. I'm happy with what you talked about. I couldn't agree more. So I think that's about all we have time for today. I hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back in about two weeks' time with a brand new episode where we'll be talking about, well, who knows what we'll be talking about. Stay tuned and find out. Uh, Until then, please uh, take a look at www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, send us your questions, and please give us a five-star review on iTunes if you use iTunes. I'm so sorry. Uh, It really helps new users to discover the podcast and to broaden our audience. And if you don't think we discover, we discover, we deserve the full five stars. That's okay. Uh, But in that case, please contact us via the feedback form on our website or drop us an email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or other feedback. Anything that we can do to improve, we're welcome to hear. And with that, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you in two weeks' time. Take care. Goodbye.